I want to welcome you all to another Daily Decade. Probably started recording a little bit prematurely since I'm still backing out of my parking spot here. But uh, it is, uh, well, I suppose it's as good a time as any to start. There we are. I hope that the weather where you are is a little bit better than where it is here. We've got one of those winter storms coming up where it's not the pleasant one where you get to sit inside and watch it gather up. It's one of the messy ones that you know is going to cause a mess afterwards. Just have to deal with it. I don't have any new prayer requests in the inbox, but I nevertheless encourage you, as I do every time, to go ahead and send those in. I certainly welcome your intentions and uh, am eager to pray for you. I'm eager to get everybody in my audience to pray for you. And If you want to do that, you go ahead and send an email to dailydecadrequests at protonmail.com. That's decade, D-E-C-A-D-E, requests in the plural at protonmail.com for any of your prayer intentions, prayer requests, uh, any suggestions that you have for what we're doing here, any thoughts that you have, devotions that you have. One of the things that I consistently run into is people being unfamiliar with some of the most basic devotions of the church. Uh, I just uh, heard today someone who had never heard of the First Friday devotion. And by the way, it's First Friday, so I encourage you to uh, engage with the First Friday devotion. Uh, if you have an opportunity to attend Mass on uh, on the Friday, it won't be this month because by the time I, you get my reminder, it won't be First Friday anymore. But, uh, you know, if you have an opportunity to attend a Mass on, on a First Friday, I there are tremendous graces to be obtained in that and to receive communion worthily. It is a wonderful opportunity to begin uh, a a new spiritually enriching habit uh, to be in. And since we are at the beginning of the liturgical year, I can think of no better time to launch on a uh, a resolution of sorts, a New Year's resolution, new liturgical year's resolution, to begin to observe devotions of the church that you had not previously observed, and to adopt devotions if you don't have any devotions yet. And the first Friday devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is uh, as good a devotion as any. It's an incredibly venerable one, uh, and one that I certainly encourage you to uh, embark on. And in addition to that, there's also the first Saturday devotion, which is uh, particularly devoted to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the, the Suffering Heart of Mary, the the, the the sorrowful heart of Mary, uh, which is, we uh, I have a devotion to uh, the seven sorrows of the Blessed Mother, and this ties in with that. And this was a devotion that was first articulated by Our Lady of, I, I think it was articulated before, but it was endorsed and it was particularly encouraged at the apparition at Fatima by Our Lady. So there's certainly plenty of reason to embark on it as a penitential practice. I've also heard of First Wednesdays and First Thursdays, but I can't speak to either of those because I don't really know a whole lot about them. But nevertheless, I would encourage you to look into them. And I would encourage you also to devote yourself in a special way to other devotions, things that you might not be familiar with. Uh, the Miraculous Medal devotion, I'm, I'm currently saying a novena to the Miraculous Medal. The feast day for that was just this past Friday. That novena will end this weekend. Uh, for those of you who are looking for a tradition to keep, 
uh, the feast of Saint Nicholas is coming up, and that's a very important feast uh, in in Europe and has been in America for some time before it was supplanted by the fourth quarter annual secular consumption holiday. And I encourage you to do everything you can to to claim uh, your holy days back from all of that. Christmas is 12 days long, and it starts on Christmas. But we'll, of course, have something special for that. And now that we're in Advent, there are other devotions as well. Uh, Advent is a time of devotions to several particular saints. Uh, St. Nicholas, of course, we've mentioned. St. Lucy also has a time of devotion during Advent. Uh, There's just uh, an absolute slew of various uh, saints and various traditions and various practices at this time of year in particular that offer a wonderful opportunity for you to pick up a devotion and pursue it throughout the year to the great benefits because all of these devotions no matter how whether it's the sacred heart which is a truly great devotion revealed by our lord directly to saint mary margaret out of coquay or whether it's a devotion to a particular saint that perhaps only you have the, de- the merits of the saints are great, and the graces that you gain through a devotion are not only contained in the merits of the saints, but also in the discipline that you form and the improvement of your spiritual life to help avoid lukewarmness. Anyway, that's my sort of short sermon that I occasionally do. I hope you forgive me for that before we launch into our prayers. I want to pray for all of you on this first Friday as we come into Advent. We're start, We're almost at the second Sunday of Advent. I hope that so far it's been a spiritually productive time, and if it hasn't, in particular if it hasn't been, I want to pray for you to find a productive Advent, one that truly improves your spiritual discipline and makes of you a better Christian. And all of us, all of us can use that, whether we're whether we're moving at a, at a good pace through our improvement or whether we are stalled. And I know a good many of us are indeed stalled. So uh, today we'll, we'll pray for all of those who are uh, struggling uh, with uh, forming a, uh, a well-exercised conscience and are struggling with spiritual lukewarmness uh, as we're coming into the Advent, as the Advent season is getting rolling. In nomine Pace, Sophidius, but it's a sancti. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. 
Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Gloria Patria, Fidio et Spiritui Sancto, Sicura Rat Principio et Nunc et Semper et Secula Seculorum. Amen. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, weeping and mourning from this veil of tears. Turn then, O gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy unto us. And after this, our exile, shew unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. Ora pro nobis sancta Dei genetrix, ut dignis officiamur promissionibus Christi. Oremus. Pour forth we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. For all of us in struggle. For all of us in need. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Thy kingdom come. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Thy kingdom come. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Thy kingdom come. As we proceed in, in battle, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Well, one of the things I've, I've had so many things on my mind over the last couple of days, I listened to a magnificent sermon on lukewarmness, which is actually a seminary course that's published, it's Bishop Sanborn, uh, who I, I hold an incredibly high regard. I know that I have a mixed audience. Uh, there are some who listen to this that are 
uh, set of Acantists. There are some who are high church Protestants. There are some who are Orthodox. I hope that I haven't scared off any of the non-Catholic listeners because I think there's a tremendous benefit for you in praying the Holy Rosary every day. Uh, I know the bulk of the attitude of the uh, recordings all come from a Catholic perspective, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that this devotion is a devotion that is only fit for Roman Catholics. It is a devotion that draws you closer to God. In, in my heart, I know that if you pray the rosary every day, you will come to the true faith. It will happen. You don't have to believe that. Well, rather, I expect you to believe that. You should believe that. We can differ on what the true faith is, but we can all agree and believe that if you pray the rosary every day, it will reveal and draw it will reveal to you and draw you to the one true holy catholic and apostolic church. So that having been said, the rosary is something that is beneficial to everybody, and spiritual lukewarmness is something that afflicts everyone, even those who are not members of the church. Everyone knows exactly where I stand on that, so I don't need to drive the point home or put too fine a point on it. certainly don't want it to turn into a knife that I'm sticking into anybody and twisting. At any rate, I was listening to that on lukewarmness. I was uh, reading about muscular Christianity. I was thinking about my own deplorable... Uh, exercise regimen <laughs> and all in all the question of discipline kept coming up the the issue of discipline of self-discipline of disciplining yourself of mastering yourself and it occurred to me that while in the first series that I did which is not available to the public it was done for a small group of people that were, and it was shared only within that group and it will never ever leave that group that's theirs as ours, I should say. Uh, I talked a little bit about physical fitness and about the place that it must occupy. Not the place that it does occupy, the place it must occupy. In It's not an optional thing in Christianity. Now, why does it occupy a necessary place? We are not Gnostics. We don't believe in a dualism of body and soul where one can be separated from the other and be complete. God made us body and soul. We are meant to be body and soul. And that is confirmed and affirmed, reaffirmed, I guess, by our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. Now, we know that God is pure spirit, the Son of God incarnate in the flesh of man. And he, upon his resurrection and ascension, deifies and takes with him the human body that he not only inhabited, but was here on earth. That means that the human body and its perfection occupies a necessary a logically necessary place in our Christian religion I once knew a seminarian we'll call him a seminarian he was studying faith 
I once knew a man who was studying the faith, who was in a sort of in, in uh, he, was a, he was a sort of it wasn't a formal seminary, but he was a seminarian for all intents and purposes. I want to be clear; I don't want to tell falsehoods. Who said that he could either study theology or maintain his physical health? And he could not be he could not do both, and since theology was more sublime, that was what he chose to pursue. Now this man was not a particularly unhealthy man. He wasn't, you know, four hundred pounds and being carted around on a flatbed truck or anything. Uh, he had a bit of a paunch. I confess I have a bit of a paunch myself, so I can't be critical of him in that regard. Uh but he opted not to pursue his physical health as a result of his the, the time constraints. And we all have time constraints. And I would not wish to accuse this man of sin, but I do think it is a misplaced belief or a misplaced attitude to imagine that the physical health of the body can be something chosen against when one weighs it against Christian truths because there is without a doubt a theological truth to be found in the human body and the perfection thereof we know that there are ascetical monks who bring their body uh, to its brink and these men appear frail and small to us because they fast so much, they do not necessarily exercise in the sense that we think of it. They wear themselves down through ascetical uh, practices. Self-flagellation is a form of corporal uh, ascetical practice. And there are those that engage in that sort of thing. Those that engage in extreme fasting under the guidance of the church. Many great saints have possessed qualities which have made them great ascetics. St. Jerome, for example, is often portrayed as practically uh, bare bones. He's, he's practically skin and bones. He's a uh, sort I'm looking for. Emaciated. He's often portrayed in that way. And uh, you see this also with icon- iconographic portrayals of um, St. Mary of Egypt. Now, St. Mary of Egypt is somewhat unique because she was a whore uh, before she was a saint. And so it's necessary, therefore, to point out the fact that as a lady of the night, um, her appearance would have mattered a great deal to her because she would not have been able to do business without it. And she flaunted this quality of hers such that she was prevented from entering a, a church in Jerusalem. I believe it was the Church of the Holy Sepulchre that she could not walk through the doors. The doors were wide open. They weren't closed to her, but she could not get through the doors because of her wickedness and her sinfulness in much the same way that there's that pious tradition that grows up around Mary Magdalene being covered in hair. You'll see some portrayals of her where she basically looks like a Sasquatch. And that's a pious portrayal because her beauty, which was necessary for her to ply her illicit trade, her immoral trade, uh, was one of the things which she gave up out in her repentance and turning back to God away from that life of sin. 
And so you see St. Mary of Egypt, who goes out into the desert and becomes a hermit. And then it becomes a great saint because she gives such intense and deliberate and special penance for her terrible, terrible sins. And so she's portrayed as emaciated. All the beauty is gone from her. All the physical beauty is gone from her as a penance. And this is appropriate. And when you see portrayals of our Lord, uh, he is, in particular, the, the portrayal that is most likely a direct portrayal of his actual countenance. And that is, of course, the Christ Pantocrator from St. Catherine of Sinai, 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 of St. Catherine of Sinai. Uh, there is a, uh, an icon, very, very famous, Christ Pantocrator, or Christ the World Ruler, which portrays Christ almost certainly as he would have actually appeared in life, because it was a copy of a version of an icon of Christ done true to his life under the instruction of our Blessed Mother by St. Luke. And this is one of those encaustic uh, icons, one that's made with hot wax and paint. And this portrayal of Christ shows him uh, somewhat thinned, uh, and but nevertheless uh, very gruff uh, in his appearance. His, his beard is somewhat unkempt. His hair is long in the style of a priest. Uh, but he is nevertheless shown in a very... Uh, he's not portrayed as in, in, a, in weakness. This is not something that this is not something any of the saints portray. Uh, yes, it's true that in some of the cases where they're portrayed as emaciated, they're shown as being very weak. Christ is not. So Christ is portrayed as being uh, decidedly masculine. And to be masculine means, as we've talked about before, to be a, an authority. Our masculinity is bound up in the authority which we exude and which we act on legitimate authority to be a tyrant is not to be an authority tyrants are tyrants because they have no authority to have authority is the mark of masculinity that's what God gave to us name the animals steward the earth master our women that is and shepherd our children that is a man's role so he has authority born within his manhood and he sacrifices his manhood with his authority, and he sacrifices his authority with his manhood. Anyway, Christ is supremely masculine because he's supremely authoritative. The, the pursuit of physical beauty as a vain pursuit is, of course, foreign to the faith. The idea is not that you look like Arnold Schwarzenegger or you know that you that you would win various pageants. That's not the point. But strength, physical strength, is a mark of physical health in a man, because that's what man was put here. Well, it's what he was driven out of the garden to do by the sweat of your back. Will you eat bread? Man must be able to do toil in order to continue to live and exist. And if he is not fit to do toil, then he is not fit to call himself a, a man in the truest, fullest sense. So, that having been said, 
our physical health and our physical fitness are necessarily tied to our Christian faith. You cannot neglect them and remain fully devoted to your Christian faith. It's not possible. And just in the way that we discipline and exercise our conscience, we must discipline and exercise our bodies. St. Paul says that our bodies are meant to be temples of the Holy Ghost. And so being, they must show fitness, not just in a spiritual way, but they must physically manifest our spiritual fitness. And so in this regard, while I while certainly don't encourage anyone to become a gym rat or uh, to pursue the sort of uh, new cult of fitness that is growing up, and there is a cult of fitness where people really just want to be gym rats they turn into. Uh, they, they just spend their entire days at the gym. I don't mean that. There is a, a degree of vanity and a degree of idea, idolatry of the male body when it comes to physical fitness, and that is something to be avoided. But you cannot avoid the gym. You cannot avoid, in particular, the healthiest physical exercise that exists out there, which is uh, the combination of uh, aerobic and uh, and weight training, uh, which really you have a hard time obtaining if you don't use a barbell. I don't mean this is not going to become the uh, new. Uh, this is not going to become a fitness podcast. We're not. Um, we're not, we're not going to be cross posting with, with the with the lift waffa or any of that. If you don't know who they are, look them up. They're entertaining. This isn't that sort of thing. But I nevertheless agree with them, just as I agree with, um, what's his name, Ripito, uh, and with several others, that the barbell is your best friend as a means of direct physical fitness because it combines most of the uh, exercise, aerobic, and, 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 and otherwise, that would have been engaged in by the Greeks in preparation for the games. Uh, the, your, your, what we think of as track and field, your hammer toss, your, your um, uh, shot put, things of that nature. Exercise muscle groups and focus on physical strength to the same degree that the barbell does when it's done properly. And when it's done properly, it can be uh, a very, very healthy aerobic exercise as well. You don't have to run to do that. Although obviously you can and you should St. Paul talks about the exercises running is one of them and so I would encourage you as a Christian to find a way to devote time in your day to the physical care for your body and to be careful about what you're putting into your body it's becoming increasingly apparent now that we have a number of medicines which are directly derived from uh, murdered children. Uh, the uh, what's the term? The aborted fetal cell tissue is what they call it. And it, yes, I'm deliberately being. I, I put the accent on deliberately because I think it's nonsense. It's it's dead baby parts is what it is. There are medicines, vaccines in particular, that are full of dead baby parts. Well, it recently came to my attention that there's a possibility that certain processed foods may also, and and particularly genetically modified organisms, which you are going to be buying in the grocery store on a regular basis, may also be afflicted with this problem of having been altered or made 
using dead baby parts. And so you have a responsibility, a moral responsibility, to take good care of your body and to be aware of what's going into it. Now, it's true you have to be much more aware of what's coming out of your mouth than what's going into your mouth. Our Lord tells us that. But that does not mean that we should not be aware of what we are consuming. All things lawful, not all things, are prudent. And it is a law of prudence to take care of our physical health. And that means being very much aware of both what we do and what we consume. And so I think there's a devotional element to a physical exercise regimen. And I encourage everyone to have one. For my own part, I use a barbell because that's what I believe in. And I have to confess, I have not been as strict with it as I ought to have been. I'm stricter with my rosary. But even then, it's one of these things where you have to form a discipline. And the very act of forming a discipline itself becomes a beneficial end to pursue. You'll find almost universally that when you're doing something that's truly good, it doesn't just fulfill a single end. It fulfills multiple good ends because it usually is totalizing. All of our religious life should be totalizing. All of us should be fanatics. I've said that before. But there is, in particular, a general rule that things that are good for us almost never only produce a single good for us. They are rather uh, sources of multiple goods, in some cases innumerable goods. The prayer of the rosary, for example, innumerable goods. Adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. You cannot count the value or the merits that you derive from devotion to the Blessed Sacrament. And the same thing is true of our physical well-being. If you pursue exercise, good physical health, you are not just improving your body or your physical state. You are also improving your sense of discipline. You are improving your mind. You are improving your your bearing and your masculine authority because you will inevitably carry yourself with a greater degree of confidence. Be careful not to become vain. But you are becoming more of what God meant you to be. You are drawing nearer to God. Now, it's true that you can also stay where you are or draw yourself away from God if you begin to pursue this without reference to Him. Our physical bodies are given to us by God. What we do with them falls to us. But they're given to us by God. And so your body and the way that you treat it should always be an act of glorification of God. And so there's another, I don't want to say another Advent resolution, but there's another thing to think about as as we're moving our way through Advent. Christ and the ascetics dominate their physical body in such a way that they can do things with their body that would not otherwise be possible. Our blessed Lord, at the time of his crucifixion, had not slept since the evening of Holy Wednesday going into into Holy Thursday. From the evening of Holy Thursday and the Last Supper until his death on the cross... Our blessed Lord neither ate, nor drank, nor slept. He was physically 
exhausted. Physically, it would have been impossible for him to carry that cross after having undergone the scourging and everything else. And yet, on the cross, physically exhausted, beaten down, abused, mocked, spat at, our blessed Lord still took three hours to give up his ghost. That is endurance. Tremendous endurance. Is it the Son of God? Yes, it's the Son of God. But he is the Son of God incarnate in a human form. And the perfections of his human body, which he could achieve, are perfections which are also open to us who possess human bodies. We can be perfect as our Father in Heaven is perfect, and we can also seek our physical perfection, our strength, physical strength, in Christ and in His imitation. And so, my prayer today is that in this Advent season, we will find some way, through physical or spiritual means, to form a discipline which draws us nearer to God and in so doing brings us closer to the perfection which God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost intends for us and has intended for us since the very beginning of the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.